Welcome to the Citizens Report. It's the 8th of October. I'm Robert Barwick and I'm joined today by Citizens Party founder and leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome Craig. Yeah, thanks Robbie. In this week's Citizens Report, breakthrough, senators demand investigation of crooked financial cops and will New Zealand be the pin that pricks Australia's bubble? Now, before we begin, just a reminder, please help us get this show around by liking the show using the like uh, icon. Uh, if you haven't subscribed, subscribe, ring the bell icon so that you can get notifications for the show and of course help share it widely as well. And what we go through today, if there's specific references, you can access by clicking on the eye icon in this corner of the screen. Um, also, what we do cover in this uh, show is also covered in the Citizens Party's weekly magazine, the Australian Alert Service, which is where you can get a more elaborated version because we don't have time on the show to do justice to all the stories. So you can, if you haven't ever seen the alert service before, you can contact us for a free copy by clicking on the eye icon. Or um, if you have, feel free to subscribe to it. This is the way the Citizens Party funds its activities. And this week we've got quite a bit to say about what those activities um, are. So um, also, Craig, before we get to the show proper, we want to talk about the other thing we've been doing for the last month or so quite intensely is a membership drive. Yeah. Now, we've, we've, um, the Citizens Party is a registered political party, but to be registered, you've got to have a minimum number of membership members. We only tend to go on membership drives when we need to for the purpose of re-registration, but we make sure we do it properly. Uh, we cross all the, the, the T's and dot all the I's and all those sort of things. It's a big logistical exercise. This year is made harder by the fact that the two parties who love to lock everyone out uh, raise the minimum requirement to 1,500 members from 500, but we're well on the, well on the way to meeting that. But what, what's your update on how that's going? Well, Robbie, we intend to try and uh, put the registration in by the early part of December. Uh, we've got plenty of members, but one of the interesting th things that comes up is that we like to talk. Our phone team here, we've got a team, full-time team of people that organise, call up people and talk to them about these political developments. So. Even if people are reading the alert service, we can flesh it out a bit more as to what the strategic nature of things are. Now, we've got the membership. It's just a matter of we don't put our net, we don't put our registration papers in without making sure we've talked to our members and that everything's correct because yeah. you've got to be on the electoral roll. You've got to have information like date of births and stuff, which is all very, very confidential. I mean, the Electoral Commission's very, very, very stickler about that. Yeah. But the point, Robbie, is that a lot of our people that get our emails, right, think that they're members. Yes. And they're not. No. Our membership is very is designed to get people involved in our organisation as activists. Craig, can I, in, in their defence, the people who assume that, there, is, there has been this funny development in Australia in the last couple of decades of big organisations, and one of them is GetUp. GetUp claimed it had 650,000 members. No, all it had was 650,000 names on its email list. That's right. That's not the same as what we would not consider. We've got, we got loads of those, but a member is actually someone who's committed to being a member, starting as an associate member, signed the form, the relevant form, paid for that membership, 
yeah. right? That's what we consider a member. And so that's the difference between if you just if you're just been getting emails from the Citizens Party, or even if you're just a subscriber to the magazine, that doesn't make you a member of our party. Yeah, and Robbie, it's fifteen dollars for a pension or twenty bucks for a normal person for a year, and that basically is just to cover our costs. Because what we do do is, if people uh, are members, we make sure that they get a regular copy. You know, a, a monthly copy of our membership issue of the Australian Alert Service. So we have a full service membership. We're not just a, a, a name. Yeah. Like you go into some of the other parties' websites, you just tick the box, I want to be a member, and you might have to sign a, a ticket declaration box or whatever. No, ours is a paid membership, so we can service the membership properly. So if people want to, you know, click on the information up, uh, uh, icon in the uh, box in the corner there, you'll see a membership form and people can send that in to us with either 15 or 20 bucks. Now, that's what we do. Now, we've got, we've got the membership. Yeah. Uh, it's just a matter of us making sure it's all confirmed and so forth. I do encourage people to become more than just an email subscriber. And Craig, I'll give you a little, little bit of a chance to have a little bit of a boast. You've done this many, many times over uh, quite a few decades now. We're quite used to the process. The Electoral Commission knows us very well. And I do believe we're even pretty much the gold standard of going, getting this process right. Well, last time we did this, Robbie, we got our uh, you know, re-registration in very, very quickly and they actually rang up and thanked us providing for, 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 providing, for, for providing such clean lists yep. that when they checked it off, it was almost automatic because they go through and check everyone on the, uh, on the electoral roll. Yeah. And when, then they go through, they call people as a sample. They might, out of, uh, I think, 550, they call 20 people. Well, every one of our members was very polite. They thanked, you know, thanked them for calling, and you know, it was just an astonishing process. Yeah. Very straightforward, and uh, you know. So it's a bit of a challenge, bigger challenge now because it's fifteen hundred. But we'll do all those sort of things again and make sure we get registered. Um, so please, we appeal to you if you support the party because you've been a regular viewer or you get our emails and you want to be a member. We want you to be a member. So get on the website, join up to be a member, or, or click on the eyes. Craig said, join up to be a member, but also to forewarn you. We're pretty demanding of our membership. We want you to not be a passive member. We really encourage people to read the magazine so you become the best informed party membership in Australia. And we want you to do things. And that brings us, Craig, to our first uh, segment here. Because... I also, just to jump in oh, there. Oh, sorry. Right? Go ahead. I just wanted to say, look, when we ask people to do things, we also like to support them in that. Yeah, yeah. Right, because you know, people aren't just asked to do things you know, without the support. We've got a team of people here that work with you if you want to call up your Member of Parliament, write letters, petitions, all that sort of stuff, right? Yeah. No, no, exactly. You're part of a team when you become a member of the Citizens Party and your contribution in terms of what you can do is profound because we've just had a massive breakthrough on the back of that again. Um, so let's get to that, Craig. Breakthrough. Politicians demand investigation of crooked financial cops. And the breakthrough is, this is uh, Friday morning, the 8th of October, last night, Thursday night on ABC 7.30, uh, they did a story on Sterling First. Regular viewers would understand the significance of that. We've been covering it a lot for the last six months. This is the case of the elderly people who, there's a cluster of them in Western Australia, but they're scattered around the country, who got ripped off by this um, Ponzi scheme called Sterling First, where they thought they were paying rent in advance for the rest of their life, and instead they were, they were duped into putting their money into a managed investment scheme that's, that's crashed. And now they all face being evicted on the streets. So we've been highlighting that, not just because of the plight of the victims, Craig, which is bad enough, and that, that touches your heart, right? You don't do this to elderly people like that. They don't get to start again, right? If, if something's not done, they need compensation. But because 
it's a glaring example of the failings, the terrible failings of the corporate regulator ASIC. Now, in the title there, I said crooked financial cops. I'm not alleging corruption by ASIC. What I am, the word crooked is related to ASIC's reaction to this scandal because they are in full butt covering mode. And we're going to play a video in a minute where you will see that, right? It's not so much, it's, it's terrible that they failed to protect these elderly people from serial offenders who ASIC knew to be serial offenders who had a trail of victims in their wake and they should have informed these elderly people so they didn't even sign up to this in the first place. But when it all went bad, ASIC in the three, two years since has been um, covering its role, right? And, and not accepting responsibility. Um, that's why I'm calling using the term crooked. I'm not actually alleging corruption where ASIC people are involved in, in, in the actual deal. Um, and the great news is, since we've been pushing this, we've been saying there has to be an inquiry into Sterling First that's also an inquiry into ASIC. This is a bigger story than just Sterling First. And if there is an inquiry, by this current Senate, Craig, because it's actually the makeup of the Senate um, in relation to this kind of issue of financial corruption and financial regulatory failings is pretty good. There is a good mix of senators in there that are, there's enough of them committed to doing something about it, right? So if this Senate can have an inquiry where they write their own terms of reference, not the way Malcolm Turnbull called the Royal Commission into the banks in 2017, and he already had a terms of reference ready to go that the banks had approved of, mm. right? If the Senate conducts an inquiry where they write their own terms of reference, you can really dig deep. And hopefully, one of the things that could come out is the um, James Shipton affair that we have exclusively exposed in the alert service and on this show. Now, people right? remember what happened with the Christine Holgate inquiry, Robbie. Yep. That was a devastating inquiry in terms of what it actually exposed. It's a good example, yes. The Senate, when they, when they, when they drill down into something like that, that, that exposed the privatisation agenda. That's their job, Robbie, the House of Review, yep. to go after these institutions of government that have gone off the rails. And look, there's no reason why ASIC couldn't be an actual effective regulator. But the person in the Shipton uh, he tried issue, to. He, he tried to change ASIC to be that regulator and it, well, he, got, he got the whole gate treatment. Yep. And he did. And here's, here's, what, here's why. It's not that Josh Frydenberg is, has any relation to this Sterling First guys, for instance, and wants to protect them. Josh Frydenberg wants ASIC to be weak to protect the banks. And what that means, if ASIC is so weak it can't police the banks properly, it means all the other hanger-ons, all the other financial predators at lower level, they'll get away with it too. And that's what's happened here. Mm. So we have, we're going to play a segment of last night's show from 7.30 Report. Um, we're going, it's actually going to be most of it we're going to play, but just for the benefit of time, we won't play all of it. Um, but you will see, if regular first-time viewers, you'll see it for some of this for the first time. Regular viewers, you'll actually see a lot of what we've been talking about. This was an excellently done uh, 7.30 report um, segment. Um, but most importantly, watch the Labor Senator Louise Pratt, because what you're seeing in what she says is they have, the Labor Party has, and that's the key, and I'll comment on that in a minute, they actually now have the intention to have a proper investigation. So just watch this. Retirees Lou and Laurie Thomas may be unlikely protesters. 
but they're gathering outside Western Australia's parliament because they simply don't know where else to turn. They're victims of the Stirling First collapse and are desperate for help. What you are seeing here is elderly abuse. We've still got to try and get our money back. We can't afford rent for the next 20 years. The Thomases are living a nightmare that's seen them evicted from their home. They claim Australia's financial system failed to protect them. We're just fighting hard to try and get our money back, so we need a Senate inquiry into Sterling. People often think that the victims of these sorts of investment scams are, are sophisticated traders uh, trying to make a fast buck, but the Sterling First cases show that's just not the case. Far too often what we see is innocent people just trying to, trying to protect their security and retirement. Lou and Laurie spent decades working at this Perth supermarket. After they retired, they spent their life savings on a new housing product called Sterling New Life. With Sterling New Life, there are no weekly or ongoing fees and no exit... Sterling New Life was marketed Sterling to them as the smart alternative to retirement villages. They paid $240,000 to secure a lease over this house for up to 40 years. Yeah, this is the um, house we used to live in. We did have big plans, yeah. yeah. Yep. The great-grandparents claim they didn't understand they were considered investors in a managed investment scheme and the returns from investments were meant to cover their rent. But when the Sterling Group collapsed in June 2019, suddenly no one was paying their landlord. In June, they lost a Supreme Court case and were later evicted. There was lots of tears, lots of sleepless nights. Lots of me waking up in the, in the middle of the night hearing her crying. Last year, 7.30 revealed the corporate regulator ASIC had been slow to act on concerns about Sterling. When the regulator did finally hit the company with a stop order, Sterling found a way to get around it, setting up a new structure called Silverlink to raise millions of dollars without ASIC knowing. Around $6.8 million was raised before ASIC became aware. Who's liable for that when, when ASIC fails as a regulator to protect consumers? Well, one, uh, I don't, I don't accept the think... assertion that ASIC has failed as a regulator in this instance. ASIC might claim that they haven't failed, however, you only need to look at the evidence to the contrary. We have seen vulnerable consumers lose hundreds of thousands of dollars, and it's all very well to ASIC intervene now when it should have intervened before these people lost their money. ASIC was, I was going to swear then, but I'll say they were very, very poor. Alex Tufekcic still lives in a sterling house with his wife, Leone, but they are petrified they could be next. They're facing an upcoming Supreme Court case which could see them evicted. Well, I don't want to think about that because it's, it's, it's horrible, right? We'll be out on the street. Oh, it's humiliating um, at this age to be in a situation where you're facing something like this. 
Over in Queensland, Pam and Michael Helen aren't waiting to be evicted. They're urgently negotiating with their landlord to stay. They already paid $210,000 to secure a long-term lease, but aren't paying any rent. Uh, we're still here, but we still don't know for how long. They keep demanding back rent. We will not pay it because as far as we're concerned, we've paid it. So how does it feel to be left out at the 11th hour of the compensation of scheme of last resort? Labor Senator Louise Pratt is lobbying the crossbench on behalf of the Sterling victims to support a Senate inquiry. All right, so Craig, because to, to me that was striking, right? When we first started looking at this, um, uh, Louise Pratt, who's from Western Australia, Labor Senator, yes, she had raised Sterling first a number of times in Parliament, bit of a lone voice, to be honest. Um, we got involved and started working closely with the victims and with the great Denise Braley, who is not one of the victims, but she's been fighting asset corruption for 20 plus years, right? And she's been in there um, punching on behalf of the victims and, and leading their fight back. Um, but what we were able to bring to the, to the table was the uh, organising and, and mobilising um, capacity of the Citizens Party, where we got all our supporters around Australia involved. And a month ago, we did a, we did a, a week of calls into Parliament, where we flooded Parliament with calls saying, you've got to have an inquiry, you've got to have an inquiry. And on the back of that, a lot of things has happened. The, 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 um, the, the victims and Denise Braley and the Citizens Party organised pro that protest that you saw in the video, right? And that was brilliant. The protest attracted the media, and with the media attention, um, the Labor Party people that want to do something about this, they've obviously weighed it up and thought, well, okay, let's have an inquiry. That is what we've got to do, right? Now, Louise Pratt mentioned that she's now trying to lobby the um, crossbenchers in the Senate. Just so happens we've been doing that already, right? And I know the crossbenchers, like the two, the crossbenchers are all the independents and minor parties in the Senate. Well, the Greens are already supportive and the One Nation's already supportive, right? And so there'll be, there'll be enough support among the, the independents, like Jackie Lambie, et cetera, et cetera. All the raw material is there for an inquiry. Right and and like I said, this is an excellent, excellent um, development. But what we need people to do is next week, uh, which is the week before Parliament comes back, we need to use that week to do one of our blitz of phone calls, flood parliamentarians with calls demanding an inquiry. You've seen the video now. We'll put a link where you can watch the whole thing. The intention's there, the, the momentum's in that direction, we just want to make sure it happens, right? So this is the, these calls next week are the icing on the cake. We need you to get involved. So if you've helped before, pat yourself on the back and know, look, this works. Now, next week, let's make it happen. So essentially, we need you to call uh, the 12 senators in your state, right, from all the parties, give, make 12 calls next week and say, um, support an inquiry, into ASIC and Sterling first, right? And if you make those 12 calls next week and hundreds of people do the same thing, by the time, by the, by the, time the senators get back in there in Parliament, Craig, they're going to be talking about nothing but. Well, and I think we'll get an inquiry. Yeah, that's, probably, that's, that's what we're talking about, the membership. This is what we want our membership to do and just yep. ordinary people. That, even if they're not a member of the Australian Citizens Party, do this. Because, look, the major parties are basically... The, their mode of operation is... Just leave it to us. We'll look after you. Oh, yeah, look how we've been screwed. Look at the Banking Royal Commission and so forth. 
our attitude is no, you're a citizen, you have the uh, capability of changing politics in this yes, country. You have. Now we showed that with Christine Holgate in what was brought to the fore there with the Senate inquiry. We can do the same thing here, but it just requires people to realise they may not be used to it. They maybe never recalled their politician in their life before. Now's the time to start because you have to take, they have to, our members and all citizens have to take control of what's important to them and let their MP know because yeah. otherwise they won't move. They won't well, shift. I've said this before, but um, a lot of people give up on politics, Craig. They think there's this sort of unknowable they that control everything behind the scenes. Now, there is an element of that sometimes. Right, for sure, and certainly on the big issues, it's, it, it's a it's a real factor when it comes to the, the global strategic developments, and that's why we've been pushing back against the the the, 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 the push for war on China, etc. Um, but for most of it, it's it, what it is is that they're a vested interest. They're mm. powerful because they've got money. They're organised. They have lobbyists that, that flood Canberra with right. And if the public absent themselves out of their cynicism, they say, "Oh, there's nothing you can do." Well, there's nothing will be done because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? And if all these politicians get is the line from the vested interest, that's what they're going to be swayed by. We have put a lot of emphasis on getting the public back involved. Now, Abraham Lincoln said, government of the people, for the people, by the people. What's that third one mean, right? Don't absent the field to the vested interest, get involved. And that's what happens when you make these phone calls. Right, because you are, they, you then become something. It's hard for them to ignore, and they at least hear the common person's voice, and that's something. And for a lot of politicians, that's persuasive, because especially close to elections, they're all we're all worried. You know, ultimately you got to, you still get a vote, right? And that, this, these things can be very effective. So um, please do that. We're going to put a link below here, and then on Monday we'll do a press release. But if you're watching this show right now. Um, you can either go to our website and see the press release or, or click on the link below where you'll have a list of every senator in Australia organised by state and their contact details. And find your state and call just, that's your job next week. Call those 12 senators. Very simple message. I'm Joe Bloggs. I'm calling to tell you you must support the push for an inquiry into Sterling First and ASIC. Right? And if you make those calls next week, um, this, is, this is looking good for actually getting it up. All right, now let's get on to the next subject. Will New Zealand be the pin that pricks Australia's bubble? And Craig, if anything, this is a bigger story than what we just talked about. Um, you know, with, the global pandemic's changed the world's, uh, changed the subject for the last couple of years, mm. right? But the thing that we were banging on about for a long time, in fact, decades, um, about that, that the structure of our economy is such that it will inevitably crash because we have a system that's based on an overbloated financial sector and a property bubble. And 2008 came and that did it. That happened around the world, but it didn't quite happen in Australia because they pulled out all the stops to prop it up. And we talked about this a bit last week. Um, there is a development this week that makes the inevitability of that crash much closer than ever. And it, it got a lot of attention in the right places for people to pay attention. And that was sort of unexpectedly, well, unexpectedly for Australians, I think, it was actually anticipated in New Zealand. The, you, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand raised interest rates by 0.25 percentage points to half a percent. Now, um, 
But Craig, that makes them the fourth central bank in the last two months around the world to raise interest rates. And what people should take stock of with that is we've, had, we've been in a period for quite a long time where all around the world rates have been cut and cut and cut and plenty of countries have gone to zero and some have gone below zero into negative, right? Um, Australia's been cutting, New Zealand, everyone's been cutting. So it's not just one central bank has now reversed, it's four central banks have now reversed, including the one in our closest neighbouring economy, right? And dare I say, whose banks are New Zealand's banks? They're our banks, right? Why has New Zealand done this? This is the part that people need to take stock of. Uh, central banks, pretty much uniformly around the world, have as a, as a requirement that, they, that their job is to control inflation. And the main way they control inflation is through interest rates. Right? So they have a target ban. New Zealand's target ban is 1% to 3%. They have to keep interest rates within that range. Well, in the June quarter, New Zealand's inflation, as measured by CPI, broke, to, broke out of that range into 3.3%. And that's why the Reserve Bank, which has, a, which has strict rules, raised rates to get that under control. But that inflation is a global phenomenon right now. And a lot of people are desperately hoping, Craig, that it's short term, it's just temporary, but there's lots of reasons to think it's not temporary. So we put out a press release today, New Zealand's interest rate pin precariously close to Australia's property bubble. And I'll just give you some figures about this inflation question because if this is not temporary, it means more central banks, unless they change the rules, more central banks will have to start raising rates. So well, I'll give you a sense of that. The Federal Reserve, Robbie, was talking about raising rates. You know, yeah, off. well, because America's interest rate, sorry, America's inflation rate, as measured by, it's called the Personal Consumer Expenditure Gauge, Yep. That rose in August to its highest rate since 1991, and that was 4.3%. Um, inflation across the whole of the European Union currently is at its highest level since 2008, but in Germany, which is the engine of the European economy, inflation is higher than at any time since 1993. And then on the home front, so that figure I gave you a little few minutes ago, New Zealand's, interest, New Zealand's inflation rate broke... 3.3%. In the same quarter in Australia, our inflation rate hit 3.8%, higher than New Zealand's. Mm. But our Reserve Bank is saying, oh, no, no, we're not going to raise rates here. And, our, and, and all the, oh, most of the experts are saying, oh, oh, we think this is just temporary, right? Because they, they sure as hell hope it's temporary because that, that's a wishful, that's a convenient thing to think at the moment. Um, but I found this in the Australian newspaper, for instance, a couple of days ago on the 5th of October. Um, GSFM investment strategist Stephen Miller said, quote, in Australia, we have to be realistic. We can't isolate ourselves from rising global inflation. It is going to be higher or longer. And those, it's, it, it, if that bears out, then I can't see us avoiding these, these kind of um, interest rates. And give, I'll give you an example, Craig. It's, it's actually in the Washington Insider this week in our magazine. Um, one of the things they report there is the, is the breakdown in the global supply chains, mm. which has become a huge problem. And if you just take one, one uh, example, uh, there's been a 400% spike in the cost of shipping containers from China to the west coast of the United States just in the last eight months. 
Uh, as of September, the cost of shipping a single container was $20,500, whereas eight months ago it was $7,500. Right? Those kind of costs are real. That's the real economy there. Um, uh, uh, we heard this morning that a container of a shipping a ship of seventy thousand tons of natural gas mm. is now two hundred million dollars, whereas in June twenty twenty it was seven million dollars. Yeah, right. This and, is extraordinary. And closer to home, our state secretary in Western Australia, June Robinson, just reported to us. Robbie, she's coming back from the major uh, food growing area in Carnarvon, West Australia. You used to be able to buy a carton of tomatoes, you know, for two or three dollars for cooking, you know, cooking purposes. She was quoted eleven dollars for cooking tomatoes in that region. Now, what she was talking to the farmers, and the farmer yeah. says, "Well, we're only planting twenty percent of our crops because we can't get the labour to be able to pick them." Yeah. And that's the story all over the place, right? So, food prices, which is part of the CPI, yeah, for sure, right, is going to go through the roof. It's the same issue with both mutton or sorry lamb and beef they're at record prices as well so what you're getting is the underlying parameters of the cpi are slowly increasing actually not so slowly now yep. we're starting to see the effects of the pandemic on all sorts of supply chain issues which is going to force the cpi up so if that happens and inflation goes up the reserve bank isn't going to be able to just say ignore this and it's going to have to act. And that then puts us in a very precarious situation where mortgage rates have been so low for so long that it, you've got a, and you've got some figures there of tremendous mortgage stress. Before I go through my figures, um, you, you, I was a bit, I'm a slightly younger than you, if the viewers can't tell. You, you were a businessman in Australia in the 80s. Remind people about what interest rates you've had to pay in the well, past. Well, our small business loan was 18.5%, Robbie back in 1988-89. Yep. And this was a stimulus that, on the, on the back of the 1987 stock market crash, the exiting of Sir Jobiocchi Petty Centre, Queensland, because we were living in King Arroy at the time, that we saw a mass movement, mass uprising yep. happen in, this, in the area of, of King Arroy and Baramba that we ended up forming the Citizens Electoral Council back then, which of course is now the Australian Citizens Party. People were just absolutely energised to do something about this. So we stood up an independent political party like our own and people flocked to us. We actually won that election back in 1988 in a, in a by-election. And I found it a fascinating and interesting um, stories. And I mean, you can imagine a polling booth where everyone goes to polling booths, right? Well, there was three National Party people handing out how to vote cards. There was one National, uh, Labor Party person and there was about 10 Citizens Electoral Council people at that polling booth, but that just wasn't one polling booth. That was all over the electorate. Yep. And Peter Beattie at that time, the then who then became the uh, later became the premier. Yeah. Later became Labor the premier. premier. He said, "You guys have won this." Yeah. And sure enough, later that night we'd won it. But that was a that was a mass uprising of the population because people got involved. And and um, not 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 unconnected from eighteen percent interest rates. Absolutely. Right. So and, and, and also the, the, the issue was the rural area, Robbie, and you had the whole Swiss francs debacle of you oh, get yeah, big yeah. or get out. You yeah. had all sorts of issues with high interest rates and buying you know, machinery and, and then, of course, low commodity returns because the idea is, as we've seen, that for, for many, there's no idea of parity pricing, i.e. you pay for what producers produce. Yep. There's always this international market competition where you try and... Uh, and the cartels, the international cartels, force the price of 
products down, so the farmers lose out. So um, it's a good reminder, though, because when you're in a period like we've been in Australia, people can convince themselves or, or allow themselves to be convinced that you know we're, we're, we've got permanently low interest rates. And the reason we've talked about the inflation figures is because if, if you have a, a breakdown crisis in the economy where suddenly inflation explodes as a consequence of that, then, then I can assure you we're not going to have permanently low interest rates. So you've, you've gone back to the 80s with your memories there, but I'll, let me remind people of something more recent, right? Um, uh, in, in 2003, uh, Australia went from, uh, I've got it here, March 2000, in two months, uh, October, and, sorry, October, and December two, October to December 2003, interest rates in Australia went up twice to half a, by half a percentage point. Right, twice. That was very quick. If that happened in Australia today, Craig, just that much, you would have. Um, whereas we've got forty-two percent of Australian households are now in mortgage stress. Forty-two percent, which is one million five hundred seventy-one thousand five hundred forty-two households um, that are mortgage stressed. If they, if interest rates go up just by half a percent, then another one hundred fifty-eight thousand five hundred ninety-three households will fall into mortgage stress. Now, this, these are, this is from a survey by uh, Digital Finance Analytics and the University of New South Wales Cities, City Futures Research Centre, where they measured mortgage stress as households that had, once they paid all their normal expenses, including their housing expenses, they got less than 5% um, income left over, residual income left over, less than 5%, right? Mm -hmm. Which means it's very, very, things are very, very tight. And that's, that's how they define mortgage stress. So that's what would happen with just a half a percent interest rate rise. What would happen if interest rates went up 2%? As they did in the two years between March 2005 and March 2007. Mm. And might I remind viewers that, that it was that rise in those years that triggered the global financial crisis here in Australia, where you did have, you know, there were predictions. If the government hadn't intervened at the time, you could have had 300,000 home foreclosures and things like that, right? So... Um, that's the problem we're dealing with now. We are already at these extreme levels of mortgage stress. February last year, February 2020, 30% of households were mortgage stressed in Australia. Now it's 42%. That's already a very, very rapid rise. And of course, that's on the back of the single biggest problem in the Australian economy, which is the housing bubble. You've got um, the median value of a house in Sydney is now $1.3 million dollars. The median value of a house in Melbourne is $955,000. Those values have been rising rapidly again, thanks to everything the government, the RBA, has been doing. And that's on the back of an interest rate of 0.1%. Right? So that low interest rate is what's allowing the banks to pump out money like that to keep the housing bubble up. But now... And, you know, the, the myth that interest rates can't rise is going to start popping thanks to New Zealand pointing a pin in our direction, right? And what is going to happen at the government level? Already there's concerns. The OECD has expressed concern. We went through some of this last week. The IMF has expressed concern about Australia's housing bubble. Even Commonwealth Bank said, well, we might have to do something about this. APRA made some changes this week. APRA is a bank regulator. But um, Martin North from Digital Finance Analytics, he said... He called it APRA bowls of wet lettuce because <laughs> um, APRA would like to engineer a soft landing at all costs, right? What? It could all come down 
if this inflation gets out of control and interest rates go up instead. So, Craig, what do we have to be looking at if we're going to solve this? Well, Robbie, first we have to look at the reality. I mean, when the pandemic hit, the government was completely unprepared for it. Right, we're talking about a different type of pandemic here. There's two major issues that most households worry about. One is their health of the people in it and how the healthcare system operates. The other is how, how, where they're going to live in their home, Robbie. So this is going to hit the government directly in a way that they weren't even expecting, I suspect. I mean, you're having underlying rising inflation. Yeah. What's the government going to do, right? Are they going to continue this process or... What's the solution? Well, they, the solution... They're not, not organising themselves to actually solve these problems like the one you referenced in Western Australia where there's a shortage of labour for farmers. They should have organised like, like in a World War II style mobilisation by now. They don't do that. They, just, they, they think the market's going to take care of it. And so that's just going to make it worse. So they're going to continue to prop up housing, you know, you know create special home, uh, first homeowner grants and stuff and keep the housing bubble going, right? Or, you know, and then smash the economy. The key here is to look outside the box. Yeah. We have, you know, the Citizens Party has a policy for a national bank and actually real economic development. You have to shut down the speculative side of the economy. That's the only way out of this. And there is no other way out. And there's going to be some hard decisions having to be made. We are in the position to provide the advice necessary to do this because of what we've been talking about, as you said, prior to the pandemic. You know, this issue was off the, the table pretty much, but we've been banging on yep. you know, for 10 years. The solution is you have to be able to provide affording affordable housing. The way you can do that is through a national bank, right? But you've got to take the speculation out of it. So that's the first thing you would have to do. But you also have to use a national bank to stimulate the economy and, and to create the high-paying jobs necessary to be able to fund people being able to purchase their homes. And and in but in real productive areas because at the moment yeah. the two biggest sectors of our economy are financial services which is just moving money around and the housing and construction related to the housing right yeah um where and it's not like we've got, we've got a shortage of housing we need to have more manufacturing we need to we need to have a crash program to revive manufacturing we need to be thinking in terms of shifting the structure of our employment and our economy from this financial services model back to a manufacturing model and then you do that you'll have plenty of paid jobs for the people who need to be able to borrow these mortgages etc you know it, it can all be done if you have the commitment and the will to do it well that's exactly right we shut down our uh, manufacturing industry and cars and automobiles which could have been transformed into a high-speed uh, you know, the production of high-speed magnetic levitation train carriages and stuff if we were building high-speed train systems. We have no high-speed rail in this country at all, yet we're one of the largest continents, you know, on the planet. It's just absurd. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of issues going to be hitting this government very shortly in terms of this rising inflation, which is going to mean they're going to make decisions which I, I don't think are going to be in the interest of the ordinary person because unless they bring a national bank in, to deal with these issues of where real credit is, is directed, like in large-scale infrastructure development projects, into manufacturing and so forth, then you're just going to get more looting of the population and more yep. people will suffer from it. All right, well, Craig, we've been fighting for that for uh, 30 years, but now we're, we're fast approaching D-Day. So um, uh, to, the, to the viewer, I won't say you heard it here first, but you've heard it here now. Uh, and... This is a good reason to be a member of the Citizens Party. Help and also us fight really, for solutions. I really think to people, if they want to know more of the details, you know, you have, we can only have, cover a fraction of what's in this program. 
get a copy of the alert service, right? If yeah. you haven't got one, then call in for one. But otherwise, become a member. You'll get a regular copy of this once a month, and you can keep following the, the detailed uh, uh, campaigns that, we, uh, that we're uh, fighting all the time. All right. Well, Craig, thanks very much for joining us this week on the Citizens Report. Thanks, thanks to Robbie. the viewer. Um, get involved with the calls next week. All the instructions will be below and on our website. Thanks for tuning in, and tune in next week for more.